0: You know, any good teacher is going to ask if you did your homework, Uh, grab your Bibles, and inside of it is an insert like this, and the red lettered references you were to uh, underline in your Bibles in the book of Acts. If you haven't done it, I encourage you to do so as we walk through this. They'll become significant, uh, but I just want you to be taking that. What those verses uh, mark are progressions that Luke uses through this. Uh, book of Acts to show us what God is doing beyond Jesus' work on earth. We, most of us, I imagine, rather familiar with the basic things that Christ did as he came to this earth. What we tend to be more ignorant about is what God is intended to do beyond that. And Luke wants to show this and us that in a very orderly way in these six progressions, which uh, you can see on the map behind me. Now, uh, you're you're not seeing all six of them because i got to zoom down in, but we're going to go here. This is right in the city of Jerusalem. I can't get a circle that small. There we go. And then it went from there out to Judea, Samaria, um, and uh, and then as it moved beyond into Asia and so on and so forth. We're going to follow these six progressions. So we begin there in chapter uh, 1 through 6-7 with the birth of the church in Jerusalem. What God is doing next. Now this is primarily theological. Stick with me because it's very significant. And as we take it apart, I think you'll find it's not hard to understand either. This is God's initial work that is theological after the work of Christ. That taking the message that He's given to us to a whole new level. The values of this message get redefined here. Now what do I mean by that? Well, let me take it piece by piece. Let's start with the message. Bethlehem Church, for example, exists to touch all people with God's message. Well, the message is the gospel of God. It's His work. And we could put it several ways to redeem man for His own glory, to, to solve the problem, to meet us right where we are, and to return us to where we were meant to be. All to prove that He is who He is good and holy and perfect and pure. Simply, this is how he did that. Genesis chapter 3. He comes. He comes to the garden to meet man right where he is. But he has to send man out of that garden. The relationship has changed, the dwelling together has been broken. It's not what it was because we sinned against him. Now he can still communicate with us and. Uh, He can still work and love and care for us, but He cannot dwell with us in the same way that He dwelt with us before. Then in Luke chapter 2, He comes again. This we know, of course, is the Christmas story. God is incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Notice, not in us, with us. And Jesus Christ lives the perfect life, pays the ultimate price on the cross, is buried, rises again and conquers death and ascends again to the Father. So that in Acts chapter 2, God can come again and this time literally enter the Holy Spirit. God can once again dwell within Man, He can indwell and have a relationship that now has been restored because of what Christ has done. This is the loving message of God taken to the next level. Taking it to this next level means an inward work in the hearts and lives of people like never before. Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of this. Perhaps the one single passage of Scripture that has caused the greatest amount of practical distinction among true believers in the United States than any other passage over the last hundred years. The coming of the Holy Spirit of God to dwell within people as never before. Because prior to this, He could only come upon them, Scripture says. But He was not able for. It was not not possible for him to dwell within them. This is because the work of redemption, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, had not happened in space and time yet. But once it did, now that part of the promise was fulfilled and more of the restoration of of the relationship could be accomplished. He could now dwell within those that loved him back. Now this is what happened and there's no controversy there. How that happened has meant a lot of controversy. Does He still come, and I'm going to read the passage in a minute, but does He still come with with fire and flames and speaking in tongues? Or was this a a one-time event in in space and time just like the work of Christ on the cross? I was in college. I used to drive by a church uh, every week called the Cappadocia Fire, Baptized, and Holiness Church. Now, you chuckle, but actually those are very, very sincere people who believe that these kinds of things can still happen. Now, what controversy may exist in this chapter is not what I want us to spend our time on. In fact, this controversy has distracted us for far too long. To make sense of this unusual event, let's keep the mission in mind. I said to you before, Bethlehem Church exists to touch all people with God's message. There's no controversy there. But how do we get there? How do we know whether we're making any progress? How do we know, how do we measure what kind of going from here to there we've done in touching all people with God's message? Well, there are three values that help us with that. At least we're using this terminology around this church, summing up what we believe the New Testament tells us. We are supposed to gather, we're supposed to learn, and we're supposed to to serve and we're supposed to learn. Now, when those three disciplines are being practiced, when we are gathering, when we are serving, when we are learning, we make progress. And now, if we consider this big turn, the, the big turn, the next thing that God has in store for us, takes those three values to a new level. He redefines them. He redefines them in greater dimension than was ever possible before. And we need to see this. And we're going to see it in these particular chapters, 1 through 6, 7, in September, October, and November. September, these next... This week and next week, we're going to look at how gather is redefined by increase. And then October, how serve is redefined by proximity. And then uh, how learn is redefined by revelation. Now, I have just given you a tremendous amount of information. Let me try and um, show you the significance of this and, and just kind of underscore um, how overwhelming this is too. Um, and so I want you to humor me um, with a little story. Imagine that I am literally talking with Abraham. Uh, Not any Abraham. Abraham, the father of our faith. You know, the guy that lived way back then, of whom the Bible says he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God just shows up and says, you, I want to go there. And he goes, okay. I mean, amazing faith. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have lots of people that he could look back on and he could speak to. He's a tremendous example of someone who heard from God and just did what he said, which I'd like all of us to think that we could, but, you know, probably not. Tremendous man of faith. But he lived in a desert and he lived in tents and, you know, all he had was like camels and animals and that's it. So now he is here. We're out in our field. The power has gone out, like that ever happens. And it's really, really dark. And so we're looking at the stars. And he's explaining to me the constellations, which are amazing. And he knows them better than we would because he actually looked at them. We can't even see them. And so he's explaining the constellations to me. And he's also saying, by the way, God promised me that my descendants would be more than all these stars. Now, I'm just busting. I want to go, yeah! And you know what? I want to tell you about how that's happening. It's incredible. The story is amazing. But I'm cold. Because it's outside and I want to go inside. And it's really dark. And I want to show you this Bible and everything. So, so could we go inside because I want to show you? And he's like, whatever inside is. And I go, well, watch this. I have a little path from our field To our house, but we got to get there. So, open the flashlight app. Bingo. And so we start to, isn't that cool? You know, I've had this thing for a while. I didn't even know you could do that. I always push the button and flip through, and then, you know, and then somebody goes, you know, you can just talk to it. I'm like, what? How cool is that? Now, imagine that I did that. Do you think that Abraham wants to speak to me about the promises anymore, at least for right now. Can you imagine the kind of questions that I'm having to answer him regarding what that is? If he even knew the word flashlight, he could ask me, is that a flashlight? What would I say? Sort of. It's a whole lot more than a flashlight. What does it do? I don't even know all that it does. It's a telephone. A what? Can you imagine? And then he says to me, You just spoke to it and it did it. How does that work? I don't know. Can you? Now, here's my point the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell man and to continue God's plan in the lives of his people, which started way back Genesis chapter 3, Luke chapter 2, now Acts chapter 2. To continue that plan has changed everything. It is no less dramatic, the change between what was before and what is now, than Abraham's way of life and our life now. So, like my little hypothetical conversation with Abraham, we're going to have to take this one step at a time, you can imagine that I might first start explaining what a flashlight is before I can get to the concept of a telephone right or a computer or the fact that this is ten times more powerful than what we use to get to the moon the moon you bend to the moon. Can you imagine the conversation? so one step at a time so in September let 's look at this gather, redefined by increase. You see, God has called us to be both fruitful and faithful. And today I'd like to talk about actual people, fruitfulness. And then next week we're going to look at the spiritual nature of what happened in faithfulness. We get so distracted in this uh, particular chapter by the supernatural event that we miss that this is about people. God wants to gather His people. And the value of gather is so embedded in this, it's so easy to miss. So as I read the account, listen and look for the people. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And utterly amazed, they asked, are not these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them. and They said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. Now I move over to another part of the chapter. We'll come back to these parts uh, that I'm skipping next week. Verse 29, Paul, uh, Peter, sorry, who, continue, who was speaking continues, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him an oath, and that he would place one that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did he his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out on you now what you see and hear. For God, David, did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right feet until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both lord and christ and when the people heard this they were cut to their heart and said to peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do and peter replied repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit then the promise is for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom God, the Lord God, will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that specific day. Now, two things I just want you to get out of this that are so obvious. First of all, God gathers. That was in the first part Of the passage. He told them in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem, don't go anywhere. And then he says, The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and then I want you to be a witness here in Jerusalem, first of all. Well, that's exactly what happens then in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. This Holy Spirit comes, and they begin to speak to those who are staying there. Now, listen, it had been 400 years since the Jews had heard from God. 400 years of silence since the last prophet, Malachi. When God breaks His silence, He wants everyone to hear. Verse 5 is a very key verse. In Jerusalem, there were staying God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And so these signs and this noise and this clamor of the event was for the sake of those who didn't know the message that needed to hear the message. This is then shared with them in known languages that they can understand. And verse 1, in all in one place, or as it rendered, is rendered there, in, in that house, is also a term used for the temple. It's probable that they were actually in a public place. And this happened, and everybody saw it. And so they gather around, of course, and there's an opportunity to address them. Definitely, it speaks to the situation, the, the list of places represented uh, are, are all different areas. If you put them on a map, they, they spread from east to west. And both this and the phrase, every nation under heaven, are representatively descriptive of these people that had come from all over to Jerusalem. And it happens on Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. It's 50 days after the Passover. It was the celebration of the giving of the law in Sinai, but it was also a celebration of the barley harvest. It was a feast And everybody had off for this one. So it was a big festival that everyone wanted to be a part of. So here's what we can conclude from this. Since we, people, real, actual people, by our sin have separated ourselves from God, He has been working on a plan to bring us back into His presence. That could only go so far until the work of Jesus Christ was completed on the cross in place and time, and he was resurrected and returned to heaven. Nevertheless, even in there, before that, he was drawing people to himself in any way that he could. And this festival was one of those designed to bring people together. By design, he used this time and place to touch as many as possible with this great change of the coming Holy Spirit. This is God's heartbeat. He gathers and he wants to share real relationship with real people and he's now making that available to all from all over. Prior to this, you had to go to Jerusalem to find it. But now, we're going to see in this six-stage progression how he is sending this presence of his all around the world to touch anybody who is willing. Now, that just leads me a very obvious question. Could this people gathering thing still be happening today? Well, we believe it is. And this is why this church talks and acts and invests a lot in what God is doing around the world. In fact, we even enlist enlist the help of a group of people to work specifically on this. We call them a missions council. And they administer and deal with and distribute the funds that we give to invest in uh, a dozen different people all around this world and, and other organizations as well. And they're a part of helping us put together trips where we get to go and, and see these things firsthand ourselves. And they study, believe it or not. They take it rather seriously. And they have been studying a man by the name of Neil Perillo, uh, And a book that he wrote, and then he's written another one that was passed on to me. And in this book, Internationals Living Among Us, Neil brings to clarity what's happening from all around the world as people flock to our shores. He identifies several distinct groups and each one needing to be addressed in their own way. It's a a real easy read and it's it's fascinating. He talks about how we can minister to internationals and business people, international students, illegal aliens and refugees and ethnic communities. Now that is a hot topic, isn't it? It's a big issue. There's lots of complexity and controversy in this. A little like the second chapter of Acts. Lots of controversy. But look at the people. So he writes, they live in San Diego. And he says, my wife and I were at the beach watching the sea lions and the sunset with an international friend visiting from England. From across the walkway, a Chinese lady approached me, asking me the name of the big birds perched here and there. I assume those were pelicans. I responded, helping Uh, her teach that English word to her two children. Satisfied that they had mastered it, we went back to watching the sea lions. But my wife was impressed to strike up a further conversation with the lady. How long have you been here? Where are you from? Are you here on vacation? All All the words to help develop a rapport. And then the question, have you been able to visit an American home yet? Would you like to? They had been here for almost a month and only seldom had been away from the apartment they had rented, nor had they related with the neighbors on a personal level. Again, my wife asked, Would you like to visit an American home? The lady jumped at the chance. They had not been in anyone's home all month. A date was set, and we invited our granddaughter to join us. She had an interest in going to China. My wife fixed a typical American meatloaf, baked potatoes, vegetable, and a salad. We all held hands as I offered a prayer. The Chinese lady showed respectful acceptance of that. But they had never seen such big potatoes. They had never eaten a baked potato. The mother devoured hers. Her young son, not able to eat all of his, had left half of it on his plate. Mom asked us if it was okay if if she could finish his potato. She did. And I think she went home with a tummy ache. We we enjoyed a lot of laughs. No Bible-thumping sermons, just a friendly visit. Out of that visit, our granddaughter was given an invitation to the lady's home in China to help her improve her Chinese language skills. Just... Three extra places at a table, and the seeds of the gospel were sown. We were also able to put her in touch with a Chinese speaking church in San Diego, which they visited. In turn, the pastor gave them a connection with the church in China for when they returned home. What eternal ramifications? Only heaven will tell. They are internationals who are living among us, they're here so briefly. But how long does it take to sense sense sincere friendliness? A relationship can then be developed by correspondence. Neither prayer, nor the Word of God, nor the Holy Spirit are bound by space and time. Anyway, the scripture says, one plants, another waters, but God gives the increase. Listen, if God gathers, then that means we're supposed to gather. We're to offer an invitation. And that's the second part of this passage that I read. Peter gives a message, once again, very specific to those that were there. He he immediately talks about David. They would have known that because they were Jews, of course. And he even calls them out specifically for their part in the crucifixion. You, you who crucified him. But, But look at the objective. The objective here is that they understand the promise. Verse 39, this promise is for you and for all who are far off. So the invitation comes. Repent and be baptized. This is as much about a joining him as joining them. God's invitation needs to become our invitation. Just as he pursues and he draws people into his presence, so we should pursue others with that same invitation. And at this point in time and space that changes dramatically as we can now or as He can now indwell us with His presence and can manifest Himself anywhere that believers are. So here's what we can conclude about this. Talk about Christ and Him crucified. That's what Peter did. Make your life a a, conversation effectively carefully and kindly talking about what God has done for you and then let the Holy Spirit convict because he will he did that he struck them in their hearts it's his job and he does it you don't save people but he will and then there's a response an acknowledgement of who Jesus Christ is and a need for forgiveness This is what God wants to do with real, actual people. God gathers real people from all places and this is His heartbeat. The question is, is it yours? If He gathers, we're to gather. And we're to invite others to do the same. Why? Because they're real, actual people. Just the reality of how these people are coming and flooding our shores can divide us politically and culturally and racially. But they're still people. And when we see the people, doesn't it affect us as a people? This is what God has been doing since the garden. It's just that now He wants to do it in a whole new way. Entering into and dwelling with one another. With, within people. Now, many of us know the reality of that. Why on earth would we not want another person to experience that very same thing? Why do we get so distracted? By ourselves and by our circumstances and our situations. And we just hang in there hoping that someday it'll be over because we know we get to go to be with God. Why is it not a burning heartbeat of ours that somebody else gets to experience that same promise of future? Make the invitation, start the conversation, bake a potato. Speak up when the opportunity arises. I want to leave you with one last image, and it comes from Revelation. John wrote this, the guy I referred to during the parent child dedication. And he sends us, fast forward to the end of it all, and he tells us in Revelation oh, what he saw. After this, I looked. And there was before me a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb and they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out together Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what's going to happen. Myriads of people that nobody can count. All there because somebody offered them an invitation. Now, can I just leave you with one question? How many of those people are going to be there because you invited them? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for helping us understand, for doing so much over all these years to restore.